our 2021 Year in Review on episode 103 of So Many Insane Plays. Welcome to episode 103 of So Many Insane Plays, our 2021 Year in Review. I'm Kevin Crone with Stephen Menendian. Happy New Year. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, you can tweet us at Many Insane Plays, email us at so many insane plays podcast at gmail.com, or leave feedback on Eternal Central, MTG Cast, or TheManadrain.com. been a while for this steve so uh there is one modest announcement that i would like to provide to our users and it's completely unrelated to the show but it is also directly related to the show because it speaks to our grand delays in recording and publishing over the course of the past year or so and that is because i personally upheaved my life moved literally across the continent and find myself now living in alaska I literally put most of my belongings into an enormous truck and drove the better part of six days across the north central U.S. and southwestern Canada into Alaska, a a fairly epic affair that I'm really grateful for the experience for. And thankfully, it was at a nice, warm, dry, safe time of year, which I'm just eminently grateful for. And now I'm living here. Uh... And it's it's fantastic. It's an adventure. Amazing. It's, it's cold and dark, and uh, I, I wouldn't <laughs> trade it for the world. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you're um, enjoying your new found home, and uh, this is you know living the way you wanted to live. It's yeah, it's, that is quite a trip. It, um, it really, listeners really probably is. listeners probably thought you move across the continent. You're coming to California. No, no, no. <laughs> Couldn't be further from it. Just about. That's right. I, I said, you know, my co-host doesn't live far enough west for my taste. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm an Easterner. That's right. <laughs> now. Yeah. So, well, uh, that's great. It's pretty exciting. If any of our listeners are interested in the affair, uh, please, you know, send me a message or whatever on Twitter and, uh, I can tell you all about it, but, um, I won't belabor the point here. It's an adventure and I'm glad for it. Well, I look forward to when we can finally play eternal weekend again and all meet up yeah, uh, from all of our disparate parts of the country. Yeah, it's it's going to be a, an exciting affair to fly from here to Philadelphia or Pittsburgh or wherever it is next time. But, Which I uh, assume you will do next time we can, you can. Uh, yes, I will make every effort to yeah. do exactly that. But right. that that does mean that our year in review here is you know as we know and almost entirely focused on online play. And here's the structure that we're going almost. to almost yeah almost <laughs> that we're going to follow, which is. Uh, not much change from years past. We're going to review the the major events of the year, which in this case is almost entirely uh, set releases. When we see events, we mean impacts to the format, changes to the format, that kind of thing. And we, the changes this year include almost entirely set releases. We're going to talk about the metagame data, which is the big driver for the discussion. How do all the tournaments roll up this year? What were the key uh, trends and, and deck performances? And then we'll get on to our coveted Moxie Awards. And now, just for review, our Moxie Awards include the best 
card, deck, set, and story of the year. And as usual, those will include input from our audience, from those of you who how many years on have Twitter. we been how many years have we been run, giving out these moxies? You know, that's an interesting question because we didn't come up with it in the first year of the show, which would, would have been 2010, but it was soon after. So I honestly can't say. My guess is it has been seven or eight years now. Amazing. Yeah. Great. So, so you, if you're a longtime listener, you know what these awards are. Mm-hmm. You know what kind of considerations go into it. This won't be that <laughs> difficult to walk through, although <laughs> there should be some debate on the answer. But at least the <laughs> mixture of consideration should be familiar. Yeah. And for those of you who haven't heard us do this kind of thing before, you know, our Moxie Awards are a, a heady mixture of data and subjective <laughs> opinion. <laughs> Indeed. And, yeah. And you'll see why. It's, it's no surprise. All right. So, Steve, where shall we enter the conversation? Well, we're going to go month through month through the data. But first, let's just talk specifically about the events that are in the data that we have. And there's two big data sources or data sets that we'll be drawing from. The first is the data that we have compiled, that we've compiled on an annual basis from Magic Online since Vintage became a playable format on Magic Online. I've continued to update my database. The second source of data will be the actual Vintage streamer community uh compiled calculations for win rate, the representation, and all that good stuff. Um, So I'm using both for reasons I'll let me explain right up front. So technically speaking, win rate by archetype or deck is the most revealing piece of empirical evidence on really how good a deck is, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not perfect. And in fact, there's really no perfect measure of deck performance, And the reason it's not perfect is because a deck can be extremely underrepresented and have an extremely high win rate, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have like two out of 70 decks in a a metagame and it hits the right metagame at the right point, it might have a 70, 80, 90% win rate in theory. But if it was five times that number, the win rate would go close, you know, fall back to earth Mm -hmm. towards the the mean, Mm -hmm. such that representation in the metagame has an influence on win rate, right, Um, for decks. So win rate by itself cannot give you sort of the full picture on how good a deck really is. And also you have to look at win rates over time, which the data does. So I have always thought, you know, top eights is also a flawed measure, performance measure, but it's still, it, it neatly combines two aspects of an overall metagame picture. It's Top eights are a byproduct or a product of two factors, representation and win percentage, right? Mm-hmm. So if a deck is 50% of the metagame and it only has a 50% win percentage, in theory, it should be 50% of top eights, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Now, no deck is really 50% of top eights. So it, it tells you both something about its overall proportion and win rates, which I, which is why I think top eights are quite useful. They give you some indirect insight to both factors, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, but win rates, I think, need to be used as well. And I also think representation needs to be considered. And any, frankly, any other useful performance-based measure can be helpful. So we, that's why we will use both. Okay. With that out of the way, <laughs> let me just tell you what specific 
data points go into these data sets. So Vintage came to Magic Online in around 2013, 2014. But you didn't have major organized events aside from sort of like a a, a periodical special event or dailies. I don't know if people remember dailies, <laughs> Magic Online. Um, so you could get you could get your vintage fix, but it really wasn't a kind of regular big event you could compete in. And in 2015, they started the Power Nine Challenge, which was a monthly event. And um, in 2017, it was converted to a weekly event. And then in 2020, it was converted into a bi-weekly event that happens twice a week. Remember, Kevin? Mm-hmm. That's when we added Sunday. In, that's when we added Sunday events, right? Mm-hmm. And so in April 18th and 19th of 2020, we have begin, instead of 52 events a year, we now have double that. So for 2021, there were actually 100, now there were actually more, well over 100 events now, a couple notes. There are, of course, 52 weeks in the year and therefore should be 104 challenges. But one of the challenges actually, because of a bug, was I think I didn't participate in that particular challenge, but it crashed, I think, in the second or third round. So there was no data from that particular particular challenge. Mm-hmm. Which um, Also, in addition to the challenges, there are a handful of special events. So the obvious special events are the three Eternal Weekend events of this year, and there were three last year as well. Those are in addition to and separate from the biweekly vintage challenges, right? Mm-hmm. On top of that, there were two what are called, I guess, super super qualifiers, basically PTQs, um, and a super qualifier. There, well, there was, <laughs> there's a. The super qualifiers are unique because, and they're also format based because I think it's the top two players get invited to the next set championship on Magic MTG Arena. That's why they're called super qualifiers. They're really, they're really great. And there were two of them for vintage in 2021. Now, here's where I always get confused. And I think people who play Magic the Gathering online regularly will not be confused, but people who are. <laughs> don't play it regularly or dip in and out like I do will be confused. But there's these additional events, some of which replace vintage challenges called the showcase challenges and the showcase qualifiers. (laughs) (laughs) The names of those events do not help illuminate their meaning. So let me try and I always have to go back and reread the premier play guide to describe what they are. The showcase challenge is an event that it's sort of the the first stepping stone in the in the kind of the sequence of of play for Magic Online. Um, showcase if you top eight a showcase uh, qualifier. Sorry, if you top eight a showcase challenge, which I think there are three of them that replace a vintage challenge every season, and there's three out three seasons in the year, <laughs> then you qualify for the qualifier. Mm-hmm. Isn't isn't that, that's kind of yeah uh, le- the lexicon is not great there, <laughs> and if you win the qualifier, let me t- let me get this right. If you win the qualifier, then which is a special event um, that is again invitation only, and it's basically about twenty to thirty people get into it because you have to again, well it's it's twenty four at most right because there's three of those events each season. So there's 24 people compete, and it's obviously highly competitive. But the winner, the first place person in in the 
qualifier event is automatically qualified for the set championship. And just like the the top two finishers in the super qualifiers, which are format specific, <laughs> get into the set championship. So, and that's sort of the, like the pinnacle of the play of play. You get into the MTG arena. You can also, however, there's a um, a separate champion showcase, which is not vintage, so I won't talk about that. <laughs> but the point is that altogether, there are 107 challenges, challenges or showcases in this data set, three Eternal Weekend events, and two super qualifiers. Now, in the vintage streamer database, they have some additional events. Specifically, they've included the card hoarder, like 10K or 15K events, which I have not included. I've just included the specific events organized by wizards through the Magic Online platform. Okay? Are you clear on that, Kevin? Does that all make sense? <laughs> uh, it does, but I have one further question. That's where do prelims fit in? Prelims are not... So pre- <laughs> Darn you for complicating this. Prelims are, are four-round events mm-hmm. in which you can generate qualifier points and the qualifier points are the mechanism by which you get you pay. It's the currency by which you pay to get into the showcase challenge. And again, if you top eight the showcase challenge, then you can compete in the qualifier. And winning the qualifier puts you into the Pro Tour event, yeah. the set championship. And those prelims so tend, you need to be, f- tend to be small uh, fields. They're smaller. They're only full rounds. And they, they're important because they're the fastest way you can get QP qualifier points. You need 40 points to get into the showcase challenge. Yeah. So it's it repl- the showcase challenge replaces a vintage challenge, but it's not open. It's not an open play tournament. You have to actually have enough points to get into it. Now, if you top eight a vintage challenge, I think you get 40 points. But if you, you know, so you can get qualifier points in three ways, I believe. You get it through the preliminary events, mm-hmm. you get it through um, leagues, and you get it through. Uh, placing well in the challenges. But the quickest way to get points, the quickest, most efficient in terms of time and expense and effort is are the prelims. That's why the prelims are relatively popular because they feed the showcase events. Yeah. Does that okay. make sense? It, and, and so for the sake of sample size, all of the tournaments that you ran down are the ones that contribute to the stats you're about to dis- describe. Yes. The and prelims the, and, and the, the leagues are not included. The prelims and leagues are not included. These are I'm only doing top eight tournaments. Yep. Um, just to be just to tell you what the dates are for these events, the the sh- first season one showcase challenge was on January 16th. The second showcase challenge uh, for season one was was March 6th, and the third showcase challenge was on April 10th. And then the showcase qualifier, which is again the up to 24 player event, was on April 24th. Now. The, the challenges replace vintage challenges, but the qualifier is a separate event, and they don't even release the top eight of the qualifier. Kevin, the, Wizards doesn't produce any data for this. All the data we get is from the community-reported analysis yeah. from those qualifiers. Yeah. There were two super qualifiers um, in that first season, though. Um, so I actually have three super qualifiers in my data. Um, the next the season two, the first season two showcase challenge was May 29th. The second was July 17th. And the third was August 7th. And then the sh- season two showcase qualifier was August 21st with tw- 
how was there 25 players? I don't know. <laughs> that can't be right. <laughs> this makes sense. Um, and then there was another vintage qualifier. Oh, yeah, that's right. There were only two super qualifiers, but there were a number of there were a number of vintage qualifiers. So the super qualifiers get two players in. The vintage qualifiers only get the top person in. And those are also separate from the vintage challenges. Sorry if this is so Byzantine, <laughs> but it is Byzantine. It is. And we've talked the, about it on the show as the, it got more Byzantine over the years. Um, there was no... This is critical. There were, see, Vintage was not a format for Season 3. So there were no vintage showcase challenges or vintage showcase qualifiers for Season 3. However... There was Eternal Weekend Day 1, 2, and 3, which was at the end of uh, of November, and there were two vintage qualifiers. There was December 10th, and there was uh, September 5th. So there you okay. have it. Yep, complicated, but uh, I just want to say, yeah, I want to say thank you to you for parsing that uh, in anticipation of these results, but also, and if I don't remember to say it again, thank you very much to our vintage streaming community and the discord that contributes to tracking all this data and and putting together the data. And thank you so much to Justin for publishing it consistently. I should say one other thing in that regard, Mm -hmm. the data I've pulled directly from, I sort of automatically pulled from the magic online deck list website webpage. Mm -hmm. However, there are a handful of cases in which, they wizards just blipped and they never posted the data. Not right. simply for the vintage qu- showcase qualifiers where they don't post the data, but specifically the May 22nd and May 23rd data was never posted. I think there were a couple of other dates where it wasn't posted. And so both the vintage streaming communities, collection efforts, and Joe Dyer's uh, effort to report on it was, I think, invaluable to the community. Yeah. For, gi- for giving us a comprehensive set of data. Yes. Despite the fact that we have a giant corporation building our game, <laughs> our format is still very much community owned and operated. No doubt. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. Ready to dive into January? Yeah. So I just want to preface this data by saying that it's usually difficult to to aggregate and disaggregate decks into archetypes or specific deck types. I think in this case, this year, it's even harder there's been a lot of variation in what I would call the mid-range archetype, where you have sort of like bug-type decks that splash red, and then rug-type decks that, that are more ruggy, meaning more like, um, you like, know, like traditional... Used to be. Yeah, more like like Tarmogoyf, um, Burn-type old rug decks that, that splash black, and it's hard to differentiate between them, so I kind of just gave up. <laughs> <laughs> so I the way that I aggregate is I have like rug, bug, and then bug R. <laughs> okay. Which is probably going to receive some criticism from the community, but that's that's how I've organized it. Um so here's here's basically for January, there were eighty total of eighty eight decks, which I, I assume means that there was would that be eleven top eights, right? Mm-hmm. And the best performing deck in January was Breach, Turbo Xerox Breach decks. That mm-hmm. is, decks that are clearly Turbo Xerox. They have fewer than the maximum number of Moxen. They max out on preordains. And they have usually more than one Breach and more than one Brain Freeze. So sort of, you know, and they often have sometimes a few other alternative win conditions, like maybe a, a growing creature, right, that they can win the game. As we saw in 2020, those... What's the creature called that grows uh, from the sky, the blue-red one? 
um, Sprite Dragon. Yeah, Sprite Dragon was often used in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, so Breach had the most frequent number of top eight appearances at 11, but if you aggregate the bug decks together, they actually had the the overall highest percentage at 13.6 of January top eights. Breach was 12.5. So I give the win to bug. As an archetype level, I'm I'm combining the bug decks because they're strategically very similar. Some splash red, some don't. Mm-hmm. Naturally. So bug and bug R are the winner of January, followed by breach, and then followed by shops. If you combine the shop decks, it was in January pretty much evenly split between shop prison and shop aggro decks. Okay. So that's January. But here's the thing I want to point out about you know, I could give you specific details if, if you're curious about anything, Kevin. But here's something I want to just point out. So I didn't do this for 2020, uh-huh. but I've done this for every previous years. And I'm going to spend a minute telling you what this is. In 2018, well, I've been thinking for years about the, again, what I said at the top about performance measures. And I, having in my professional life, looked at a lot of different indices for different things. I posted on Twitter at one point, is there any formula or index-based approach that anyone is familiar with that can give you kind of a holistic score or value that can tell you something about the quality of a metagame? And someone, I wish I could give them credit, I don't remember who, suggested one, and I took that and ran with it. And it's called the Genie Simpson Index, Genie Simpson Score. Let me just tell you in plain English why what, I'm, what I care about. Mm-hmm. So essentially, there's two characteristics that really matter, that Wizards has said really matter, and that really matter to assessing the health of the metagame. The first is diversity. Just how many different types of strategies are there in a metagame, right? Much like with ecology or agriculture or whatever, mm-hmm. the more diversity there there is, usually the healthier that ecosystem is, the metagame is. But diversity alone is misleading because you're just looking to see how many different types of things there are, Right. You could have 50 different decks, Mm -hmm. but if one of those 50 decks is, say, 80% of that ecosystem or metagame, that's not still not very healthy, even though it's technically diverse, right? So you need to have a further consideration, which is balance. And in Wizards' denotation, meaning, description of this in terms of how they've explicated this in their various public statements, balance means win rates. (laughs) So relative performance. Well, what I love about the Genie Simpson score is that it integrates holistically both diversity and balance into a single holistic value, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And so I published an article in 2018, November 27th, 2018, that you can Google. It's called Measuring Metagame Diversity and Balance. And you can Google that with my name and you can see the article and what I did is I went back to all the Magic Online data I had been collecting since 2015, and I calculated the Genie Simpson score for each of those metagames from Q4 2015 all the way to October 2018. And then in our 2019 review, I calculated it through 2019 as well. Mm-hmm. And Kevin, one of the things that I analyzed in this article is not just the regular, the quarterly and then monthly uh, Genie Simpson scores, but I also correlated those scores with restrictions. And so what you can see is that 
the scores typically decline leading up to restrictions. So for example, in the period leading up to Lodestone's restriction, the Genius Simpson score falls to around 0.8. It goes from about 0.875 to 0.8. And then it climbs back up and then falls to the upper 70s, and then Gush and Probe are restricted. And then it improves, and then it falls to the lowest score ever on record, (laughs) which is in the high 60s. And then Thorn and Mentor are restricted, and then it's it soars up to about 0.9 and then it goes up and down over to the course of 2018 fluctuating from about point high 80s to low uh high 70s to low 80s and up and down mostly in the mid mid 80s which i think is a pretty healthy historical it gives us a baseline basically if you need a rule of thumb or or heuristic mid 80s is a generally a healthy genie simpson score um, just to refresh recollections for 2019, I found that the Genie Simpson scores were um, pretty good. They were consistently in the mid 80s, with a few months that you got into the low 90s, and one month that was bad that was in the high 70s. So Genie Simpson score mid 80s, upper mid 80s, seemed like a pretty healthy metagame for 2019. As I said, I did not calculate it for 2020. But here's the Genie Simpson score for for January of 2021. It's 0.948, or if you round it up, about 0.95. Wow. That is significantly higher, not only than any other prior period we have on record, but any any particular data point I can even point to. Yeah, dang. Which suggests that the metagame that January is both diverse and balanced at a historical level. Extremely healthy. And I don't want to spoil it entirely, but you're going to see that that basically throughout 2021, the Genie Simpson score is consistently above 90. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, that suggests that the metagame is in a really good spot. (laughs) Okay, so thank you for bearing with me as I went through that. Now I can turn to February. (laughs) So in February, there were uh, 64 top eight deck lists, so not quite as many. Um, The best performing archetype, sorry, the best performing deck in terms of raw numbers, uh, again, is Breach. 13 of those 64 decks were Breach decks. In percentage terms, Breach just was was by far the best it was 20% of the metagame of top 8 meta, top 8s mm-hmm. rather not the metagame but 20% of top 8s mm-hmm. but the top 8 metagame shops was 14% and bug decks were 18% and doomsday was 12.5% so breach breach i think unequivocally won february <laughs> although i'll give it to bug in um january now here's what's remarkable despite that fact that it seems like okay you got 20% of the metagame going to one deck the genie simpson score for February is 97. Good grief. Yes. That is so far above any other data point historically. I didn't, honestly, I didn't think that was possible. <laughs> when I wrote this article in 2018, I would never have imagined that you could get a score that was basically close to perfect. It's crazy. <laughs> can, I mean, go ahead. Can you talk about how it is that you have a deck that's 20% of top eights? 
which it's sounds be- very tilted. I mean, comparatively it's very because tilted. it's balanced against the other performances. The, and there are a lot of other decks in the metagame. Okay. That's why. So you have a lot of decks that are 1%, 2%, 3%, 5%. There are four decks that are, again, shops 14% or archetypes. Shops 14%, Breach 20%, Bug, Bugar 18, 19%, Doomsday 12.5%. But they're, those are all pretty close. It's not imbalanced, right? You got four strong pillars and then a lot of diversity around it. Got it. So I, I, that's my assumption. I'm not an expert in this formula. I've just found this formula to be revealing. <laughs> You know, it's it really has. When you look back, it really does tell us something about when when the format's in a bad place. Again, just to remind you, um, if you look at my article, you'll see that the Genie Simpson score before Thorn and Mentor were restricted, that both in July and August of 2017, was sub 70, was yeah. the high 60s, which is the lowest I've ever recorded. But it, it hits the low, it hits the high 70s a lot. So Q4 of 2016 is high, is, is high seventies. Uh, March of 2018 is high seventies. You know, uh, September, even though it's an improvement over, the, you know, of, of 2017, it's even so prover, improvement over the sixties is still, you know, mid seventies. So mid seventies is, is, is not great. You want to be at least in the eighties, mm-hmm. but it's, I, there's not a single data point from the end of 2015. Through 2018, that's above 90, not one. Mm-hmm. The highest points are about 88, 89. And now you have a month that's 97 and a quarter. <laughs> it's just, it's just, uh, I mean, unbelievably healthy and good. <laughs> so that's amazing. It's truly amazing. Okay. Moving on to March. March, um, breach begins to fall off. And I'm not sure why, but Jeskai Xerox in particular surges. Maybe it's because Jeskai Xerox is a good answer to Breach, Kevin. I'm not sure. But at the specific deck level, Jeskai Xerox has 10 top 8s out of 64. So that's the best specific deck. But I aggregate the Turbo Xerox decks for the most part. So like I combine blue-white Turbo Xerox and Jeskai Turbo Xerox and blue-red Turbo Xerox decks mm-hmm. um, at the archetype level. And combining all the, and I don't include Breach in there though because it's more combo. Um, I, I combined the Turbo Xerox control decks and combined for March they were seventeen point two percent of the metagame. Shops combined were twenty point three percent, and there were because there, there were go. seven shop aggro decks and six shop prison. So depending on whether you want to look into the deck or sort of an archetype level, shops were the winner for March, or Xerox. Mm-hmm. You can look at it both ways. If you um, the Genie Simpson score for Mar- for March was ninety four point two five ninety four point nine four two five so not quite as good as the previous two months but extraordinarily high historic from the historical baseline using this exact same methodology I've used since twenty fifteen um, now if you look combined at Q one the numbers are all closer right because sure. Bug and Bugar I think together is actually 15.3% of top eights in, in Q1, followed by shops, which are 14.8, and then breach at 13.9. So those three pillars of the first quarter are only about a percent, half a percentage point away from first to second, and then a percentage from point, less than a percentage point difference from second to third. Well, and with the, 
with that count of decks, you're talking about one or two 200, decks. Well, it's 216 decks in the to- that total okay, for yeah. Q1. So two decks for 1% shift, basically, <laughs> yeah. So it's all very close. Yeah. This, that's, that's what makes this, this format so balanced and also hard to identify winners, which is going to make our task at the end of the year quite difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I continue, or do you have any questions about Q1? Well, no, I'm just really keen to see when... Uh, as we get into the summer when things shift but let's go let's go through Q2. Okay, April. So you looking at the deck level, the there's a tie. There are in top 8s 80 data points for top 8s. Both Bug and Shop Agro have 10 appearances apiece. They're okay. tied. In terms of um percentages, the archetype level, the Winner is shops. It's seventeen point five percent, followed by bug and bug Ardex, which are thirteen point eight percent, followed by Turbo Xerox at twelve and a half percent, and then Breach at ten percent, and also Doomsday also has ten percent, which is also it's sort of a Turbo Xerox combo deck. So depending on how you add these things up, you can get different answers. That's sure. why I'm trying to give you a a panoramic view so you can <laughs> use your own judgment on what you think is important. And the Genie Simpson score. For April was ninety three point six, so rounded up ninety four. <laughs> wow, very very healthy again. May, um, when did let me? Uh, I for completely forgot to mention that Loris was unbanned, uh, effective on Magic Online, February twentieth. Just wanted to remind you of that. Um, which almost certainly and, contributed to Breach's appearance that month. Yes, and Modern Horizon does not become legal until June fifth. Just to be, just wanted to note that. Okay, so going back to May, again, at the deck level, the winner is clearly Doomsday for May. Notice how few uh, repeats we have. Yeah. It's almost all different, so we'll we'll come to that. I have a tally at the end. Yeah. There were 72 deck data points in top eights for May. Doomsday is the winner. In terms of percentages at an archetype level, though, Doomsday was only 16.7% of top eights, where shops, prison combo, and aggro combined were 21%. And bug was over 15% in third place. So I think shops wins at the archetype level. Doomsday wins at the deck level. Okay. Split that however you like. Mm-hmm. The Genie Simpson score for May was an improvement over April. It ticked back up to 94.9423. So okay. 94 again. Still, again, these are historically great figures. It's astonishing. Okay, June. Now we get to where Modern Horizons is legal, right? Yep. This is what people want to know about. Yep. Well, there's. I'm going to give you the... I, I want to m- mention one pattern. One pattern is that in June, you have um, Urza Saga comes out. 100% of the PO decks in June are what I would call these Urza decks that have both the blue Urza and the Urza land. 100% of them. <laughs> So it's a hundred percent convergence between PO and these Urza decks, these Urza combo decks in that month. Okay, that said, the winner for most archetype, uh, sorry, deck appearances out of sixty-four is again Doomsday wins in June at ten. Huh. The Urza there's only five of the Urza blue decks, which are also PO. Um, so, um. Doomsday is 15.6%, but if you add up all the Xerox decks for that month, which are, let me tell you exactly what they are. They're two Jeskai Xerox, um, one blue-red Turbo Xerox, 
what else? There's uh, these rug Xerox decks. Uh, I think there's a four color. There's just a few other Xerox decks. If you add those up, those actually get to 17.2% of the metagame in June. So okay. depending on how you want to slice it, the winner is either just these Turbo Xerox decks or Doomsday. Hmm. By the way, Hollow Vine and the Hogak Vine decks hit 11% in June, which is, for the year, by far their best performance. So they were in the running. Yeah, it's, the pretty, genius- noteworthy. it's pretty noteworthy, the Sedgemore Witch impact on the format in this time period. The Had a great when, month. Yeah, when you talk about Xerox in the format for the last several years, it's pretty safe to assume that that primarily Blue includes Red. Jeskai, Blue Red, and Rug, as you've said yes. already. But that is not true in the middle part of this year, where Witch was everywhere. Yeah, it was quite... It, it wasn't just that it did well. It was also a, a, a per- tournament winner. Yeah. You know, it had a high salience factor. The Genie Simpson score is 96.33. Nice. For, yeah, so almost as good as February. Very high in June. Just, again, historically great. So that leads to the Q2 totals. And if you combine Q2... The winner for Q2 is Shops. It, it, it's sort of a if you combine them all because it won April and May. And its Q2 total was 16.2, followed by Bug and Bug. Oh, sorry, followed by Doomsday at 14%. And Turbo Xerox and Bug and Bugar were all above 10%. So very good Q2 numbers. Okay. Shall I proceed to July? Yeah, I'm kind of excited. <laughs> okay. So July. The winner in July out of uh, 72 top eight decks is Bug itself, just straight up Bug. Mm-hmm. Bug Art kind of disappeared in July. I don't know why. I have an idea why. <laughs> well, we can talk uh, about that later. Okay. <laughs> um, but combined Bug and Bug R is 16.7%. So it also wins at the percentage level, followed closely by P.O., at 15.3%, and then Shops at 12.5%, and then Doomsday at 11.1%, which is tied also with the Hollow Vine Hogak Vine Dex 11.1%. Okay. 11% for Hogak and Hollow Vine, you said? Combined, yes. Yeah, and that's... How how does that relate to the June number? It seems very close to the June number. Well, let me give you the disaggregated. Um, Hollow Vine had five appearances. Hogak Vine had three, so that's eight total, which is out of 72, 11.1%. Okay. Um, for June, it was almost identical. Yeah. Two Hogak okay. Vine, five Hollow Vine, so essentially carried over from June to July. Okay, got it. It fell off the map in August, by the way. So in August, <laughs> um, there yeah, there was actually only one Hogak Vine top eight and one Hollow Vine top eight, two total. Um, and, but in August, there were 13 shop prison decks. So this is the month that mm. shop prison shot up. And there was ba- there was zero shop aggro decks in the top eights. This is the year that the, uh, what's the name of the Gallos shops just are just like everywhere. Yeah. They start just being ubiquitous. Um, remarkably, this is also the, the month that the, the big blue hall breacher decks take off. And <laughs> I think that the streamer community has a different way of, categorizing this, but what I mean by these big blue hull, hull breacher decks are essentially the big mana blue decks of yesteryear, like the Grixis decks, Kevin, mm-hmm. or the deck, and they, they look like this. They have basically maximal mana acceleration, so all five Moxon, Mana Crypt, Soul Ring, 
and they run, um, you know, Force of Wills, Yogmoth's Will, Tinker, and Time Vault for the most part. So the big trio of like basically like the Mark Lenigra deck <laughs> of what was the year is that now? 20, 2009, 2010, oh, I can't remember. Yeah. 2010, I think. That archetype carried forward, returns, has returned because of Hull Breacher. There is a subversion of the Hull Breacher that leading up to that, which is more combo oriented, that uses like the draw sevens. But by Hull Breacher Big Blue, I specifically mean control decks in the in the the Grixis control mo- mode. Again, the Big Blue decks that have maximum artifact acceleration, Tinker Yogwill, Time Bolt for the most part, mm-hmm. and then two or usually two or three of these Hull Breachers in them. Um, there are twelve of those in the August top eight, so one off the Shop Prison decks. Dang. And by the way, there were also ten Jeskai Xerox. So this is August marks the return of like these Grixis. They're not necessarily Grixis, but the they're sometimes Esper, sometimes just Blue Black, but the return of the Big Blue control deck to the vintage metagame completely returns. No kidding. Yeah, and in fact, if you I categorize non PO Big Blue altogether is eighteen point eight rounded up nineteen percent of the metagame in August. So it's the winner, non PO Big Blue. Dang. What it's are the other awesome. percentages? For the other percentages are shops is 16.3%, so 2.5% less. Turbo Xerox is 13.8%, so 5 percentage be- below the big blue. Okay. Bug Bug R is 11.3%. Okay. Nothing else breaches 10. So the winner is big blue. It's awesome to see big blue come back. <laughs> I wish I had paid more attention to this at the time because... I probably would have played those one of that at least once at Eternal Weekend. It's not what I played. <laughs> it would have been fun to play these big blue decks again. Nice. Genie Genie Simpson score I forgot to mention for August and September are 90 90 rounded up 93 for August and 92 for September. So still extremely healthy. Okay. We have nothing below 90 <laughs> in 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 the year so far. Okay, September the last month from Q3 the raw decks, the winner. So this Holbreacher decks kind of fall off. In the Holbreacher build falls off in September, kind of inexplicable. Uh-huh. It goes from twelve to four. Don't ask me why. I cannot tell you. Um, I forgot to mention these these emergent Urza blue decks, which are, are basically five, four, six, four, four in this in this month. Are these decks are basically mono blue with a bunch of Urza lands and multiple blue Urza. Those decks are are doing pretty well as well. They're part of the you know decent size of the metagame. Um, percentage wise, the winner for September is unequivocally Bug and Bugar. Tw- sorry, is is Shops at twenty six point four percent, and then Bug it and Bugar at twenty five percent. So wow. th- that those are getting really big numbers, and nothing else is above ten percent. The closest you get is Turbo Xerox at 8.3% and the combination of non-PO Big Blue at 8.3%. And then beyond that, PO at 6.9%. So this consolidation, sadly, is reflected in the Genie Simpson score, which falls to just to 88. <laughs> so that's obviously significantly off, you know, the, the year average, um, but it shows the consolidation that I just described. The, yeah. it's, and by the way, spoiler, that's the lowest Genie Simpson score of the year. Okay. So. Yeah, so if you end up with two decks at 25% or 50% of the metagame, or two archetypes, yes, two I archetypes. Say, then yeah. um, 
that's obviously going to have an effect on that score, which I would have anticipated. Although high 80s is still a respectable it, score. Exactly. High 80s is like the historical peak before yeah. this year. So, and that's wow. the lowest of this year. So, <laughs> incredible. Interesting. Um, aggregating to Q3, Shops is the winner at 18.3%, followed by Bug and Bugar at 17.4%. Mm-hmm. So, non Big Blue, PO, sorry, Big Blue, non PO Big Blue was 9%. Um, PO itself was 10%, and Turbo Xerox is 9%. Okay, moving to the fourth quarter, we get to October. There's a tie at the archetype, at the deck level, rather. There are 80 mm-hmm. decks. Um, Shop Prison has 10 appearances, and PO has 10 appearances. Okay. These are non these are the non-Urza Blue PO, PO decks. I don't, I don't think there was any overlap in that month, but there may, might have been. By the way, Urza Blue hits its, its, its peak of the year at nine mm-hmm. decks. So one off of PO in second place. Yeah, Urza Blue is very popular in this month. I remember telling you about that. I, ta- I spoke with you in October by phone, and I said, you got to check out these Urza, Urza decks. They're doing really well. Yeah. Those were popular in that month, in October. Percentage-wise, um, Shops is actually the winner at 15%. PO, 12.5%. Non-PO, Big Blue, 11.3%. Urza Blue, 11.3%. Doomsday, 10%. Turbo Xerox, 10%. Nothing else at 10%. All right. Genie Simpson score, 94. Really good. I still can't believe that 97. I mean, literally the way the formula is is calculated, you cannot, you can't do better than 99. So to have above 97 is basically perfect. It's crazy for February. (laughs) Okay. Um, November, getting towards the end of the year, the winner is White Hate Bears. What? And white hate... Now, I'm combining this as including mono white hate bears and like up to five color hate bears that are basically anchored in white. Was this the when that Bant deck broke out? The no, Archon the Bant deck? deck is counted separately. I have okay. I have the... Because it's that's got blue in it. Yeah. So the hate... Historically, if you go back... You know, I've done this for a long, long time. I've disaggregated between what I call merfolk and hate bears. Yeah. So merfolk are mono blue merfolk, blue red merfolk, noble fish merfolk. Those are decks that use um, small creatures, usually disruptive creatures, but they've got a lot of blue in them. Counter magic, force of will, stuff like that. Yeah. The hate bears decks are zero blue generally, except for like sometimes misstep, and they are much more specific on attacking your mana base. Now both tend to run null rod effects. But the the hate bears decks are more Thalia based, yeah. And the the Merfolk deck are more Force of Will based, yeah. So I'm, if I'm counted this correctly, it's possible there's some error. But I have ten basically hate bears decks this month. And by the way, <laughs> wow. it does not include Eldrazi. Wow. And then there's it, it in, there are eight copies of Breach, eight Bug, and eight Dredge tied for a second. Huh. So that means that percentage wise. The winner though is the the winner though is is non PO big blue huh. because yeah if you combine all these different control decks for big blue you get to you get to seventeen percent of the field okay let me just make sure I'm doing this math right yep yeah that's correct um so the winner in November depending on how you want to count it is is PO Sorry, non big non PO big blue, and then in second place percentage wise is actually Turbo Xerox at fourteen point eight percent. Interesting. 
And then Bug was at 12.5%, and then Hate Bears at 11.4%. Shops shops fell to 8%, which I think is its lowest overall. Yeah, the lowest of the year, June was 9.5%, so that's the lowest. Worst, Shops goes from its best performances in Q3 to its worst in November. Huh. And the Genie Simpson score is 94. So are you ready for December? Yeah. All right, December... The winner in, in a deck level is Shop Aggro at 10. So you have this huge pivot <laughs> from wow. sh- these Golo Shop decks disappearing. There's only one Golo Shop deck in, in December, but there were 10 Shop Aggro decks. Explain <laughs> that to me. Amazing. Just amazing. <laughs> yeah. There were nine Dredge decks and nine Oath decks. Um, so those were pretty close. Oath really breaks out at the end. Uh, Justin Gennari has had great success with these Oath decks which I'm sure we could talk about if we want to spend time with the archetype, this new yeah. Archon Oath. Um, in terms of percentages, though, non-PO Big Blue wins again at 17.6%, followed by Shops at 15.3%, followed by a tie between Oath and Dredge <laughs> at 12.5%. It's like a Brian DeMar's nightmare. Um, <laughs> so there you have it. And the Genie Simpson score for... Um, December is 93.9, so about 94. Pretty, pretty good. Let me give you the Q4 totals. The Q4, and then we'll do year, total year in total. The Q4 summary. PO, Non-PO, Big Blue wins at 15%. Um, shops, 12.5%. Turbo Xerox, 10.4%. PO, 7.5%. And Bug, Bug R at 9.6%. Um, Dredge at 7.9%. Oath at 6.7%. And the yeah, so there you have it. Wow, I'm ready for the the year in total. But let me see if you have any questions about Q4. Uh, what were the percentages for just December again? Big Blue was in first with what? Big Blue, Big Blue is 15. Uh, just for December is 16.7 percent. Okay, and then what was second? Second is Shops at 15.3 percent. And again, okay. it's almost all aggro. Yeah. Yeah, there, there were eleven was... decks, 10, 10 aggro, one, uh, ten, one prison. <laughs> can you go? Can you back up by comparison to March, April, May, where Shops was the yeah. the top performer, and talk What's about the breakdown? the breakdown? Yeah, the constituents then. So in January there were ten Shop decks, not counting two card Monty or Shop PO decks. <laughs> that by the way, January there January there were six two card Monty decks. In, wow. In top eight. Yeah, it's hard to explain <laughs> that. Um, five, it was a perfect split between prison and, or between Golos shops and just Ravager shops. It was five okay. and five. In February, it was four Ravager, five Golos. In March, it was six Golos, seven Ravager. So okay. it was pretty much split down the middle in the first quarter. And the to- Q1 totals were 15 shop prison, 17 shop aggro. Interesting. In okay. Q2, the split was 14 shop prison, 21 shop aggro. In Q3, the split was just exactly the opposite. It was 39 shop prison, or Golo shops, including shop combo, and uh-huh. two shop aggro. Two yeah. shop aggro. Two, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so is, if you go from 14 to 39 and 21 to two. Yeah, I remember. I didn't remember that shops was so healthy in Q2, honestly, but I remember yeah, it was the sort narrative. of under the radar. Yeah, exactly. I, but I remember the narrative from this summer about how no one was playing Ravager anymore. Yeah, it turns that was out, true. Yeah, that was only <laughs> but, a only a portion of the year. 
but that's that inverts so that when you get back to the end of the year, it's more like the beginning. 14 yeah. shop prison, 16 shop aggro in Q4. Wow. Okay. You go full circle. That's the cyclical nature of vintage. <laughs> yep. Yep. Explain that for me. I can't. <laughs> Any other questions before I do the, the big year end total? No. No. Okay. Are you ready for the big year end total? Yes. So very much this so. leaves us with 896 data points, total decks. Okay. Which, if you're curious what it was for 2020, you know, if you've listened to our just recently released at this point year in review, there was 754 decks in, in 2020. So a significant increase, almost 900 decks, four short of 900, if it helps you keep the denominator in, in mind. At the deck level, the clear winner is, well, do you want to take a guess, Kevin? Well, it, having taken some notes along the way, it, cl- it clearly looks like Shops is the winner. Uh, it's not far off. Oh. The winner is... Oh, sorry, I'm at the archetype level. I, yeah, I'm, that's I'm, true. My notes were at the archetype level. Sorry. Yeah. The indiv- hold on. The, so individual deck... Oh, yeah. Hold on. Let me let me think about this a little more detailed before I answer. Um, God, is it bug? It is bug. Ninety six, yeah. ninety six bug. Just straight up bug. Ninety six bug decks and in the top eights out of almost nine hundred. And part of the reason why I was able to nail that is because I was just looking back through the stats and I see bug in bug had a lot of second <laughs> places this year. Yes, but bug. The reason I was confident thinking it was the the best performing deck is it, it has the narrowest variance within its archetype. Yes. When you talk about shops, we've just discussed the big aggro versus uh, uh, control split. When you talk about Xerox, there's any any given moment three or four different variants. Yes. And PO had a lousy year, basically in general. Yes, definitely. But in the bug sense, there's so little variance inside of bug that it's not yes. hard to spot when you look at the archetype level. So that's the amazing thing is that Bug never won a quarter. Yeah. But huh. it won the year. Wow. Because it was just a steady foot race, you know. Yep. Tortoise through the whole year. <laughs> never won yep. a quarter. Yeah. But it won the year in terms well, of it, it's the, the classic deck like level. it's the classic like 51% archetype. Yep. <laughs> anyway, yep. go keep going. Well, the next best deck was Shop Prison at 80... Sorry, Doomsday at 85 copies. Wow. Doomsday had 85 copies, second place to the deck level. See, now there's another one. Actually, Doomsday is the, the archetype, so to speak. Which I know it's not an archetype. Combo is the archetype. But Doomsday is the other deck that has just almost no variance in <laughs> its representation. Yeah. Uh, when you see Doomsday, you're seeing almost the same 75. True, <laughs> you know, it's the true. The same 70 almost every time. Golo shop decks were 82. So you have Bug at 96, uh, Doomsday at 85, Shop Prison at 82, and there's a real drop-off. You get to the 50s next. Oh, so wow. PO had 57 appearances. Uh, Breach, the Turbo Xerox, and, 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 sorry, the, the Breach decks, there's, they come in different versions. There's this big yeah. blue Breach that splashes a little bit of Breach, but the, specifically the Turbo Xerox Breach decks, which I think were boosted by Luris, there are 58 of those in the year. 58 dredge decks, so same number. <laughs> 56 shop aggro, Ravager shops, mm-hmm. 57 PO, and 51 just guys Xerox. Interesting. So, okay. And again, so, those are year to, those are year totals, which means that like, obviously, you know, if you're just looking postmodern horizons, you get a different picture. Yeah. Yeah. Very, now, very interesting. Percentage wise, the winner actually, you're right. Your original guess at shops, 15.4% of the year. Top eights. 
Okay. Followed by Bug at 13.6%, followed by Doomsday. It, sorry, followed by Turbo Xerox at 96 and Doomsday at 9.5. Interesting. Okay. If you're curious what's beyond that, the non-Big Blue, sorry, I keep saying that, non-PO Big Blue is 7.6%, uh, Hogak and Hollowvine at 4.6%, Breach, Breach, so Big big Blue Breach, 6.5%, Dredge, 6.5%, PO, 6.4%, Oath, 4.2%, I think I said that, Rug, 3.7%, Hate Bears, 3%, Urza Blue, 3.5%, that's pretty much everything. That's not trivial. That's it. That's hey. the year in review. Wow. So it's stuff. really hard. It's really hard to figure out the when we get to the moxies. Well, it's really hard to figure out what what to give here because it depends on how level, you slice yeah. it. Well, it depends on a number of things. How do you slice it? Do you want to talk about decks or archetypes? Do you want do you weigh month victories? Do you weigh consistency? Do you weigh quarterly victories or do you weigh the end of the year? Mm-hmm. And depending on which factor you give emphasis on, you get a completely different result. Fascinating. And we haven't talked about win percentage yet. Yes. So let's do that now. So thanks to Justin and the and the rest of the streaming community, we have data uh, on win percentage that Wizards themselves does not publish. And it's worth noting that this data is more, I would say, comprehensive than the top eight data we just reviewed. Because this data goes through all players, at least everything that could be, you know, right, not just top scraped, eight. not just top eight. So whereas you said, what was the number of top eight? Eight hundred, eight hundred ninety-six data points. Yeah, so almost nine hundred. Whereas by comparison, in terms of total decks, we've got almost eight thousand. Yeah, seven <laughs> seven thousand seven hundred ninety-four. That and so in terms of qualitative, you know, measures of data, this is. The sample size is is, is an order of magnitude larger. Ten times. Yeah. And now, and so it, but there's a trade-off, as you said in the beginning, which I won't belabor, but, you know, match win percentages have, have some noise in them. And in an effort to, um, in an effort to do that, disaggregate some of that noise, the community has made an effort to calculate total match win percentage, which includes mirror matches, and then an estimated match win percentage without mirrors. Obviously, the definition of a mirror match is a bit subjective. Yes. And so that's why they call it an estimation. But I will point out that there is not a great deal of variance between those two percentages. As we know, the mean, uh, the necessary mean of match win percentage is 50%. It has to be. (laughs) Um, Well, okay, strike that. It doesn't technically have to be because a game of magic can have two losers. <laughs> but that that doesn't change the point. The um the maximum variance in this data between match win percentage with and without mirrors is less than 1%. In fact, it's much less than 1%. I'm I'm scanning the numbers here because I haven't done all the math. Yes, the greatest variance for one deck or one archetype, I should say, between with and without mirrors is 0.3%. So citing that difference is is pretty immaterial to the the totals. So Steve, shall we talk archetype or deck to to start with? What do you well, what do you think? Why don't we just to keep it consistent, why don't you start with deck? Okay. So we're talking about the full year here. Matchup win percentage with mirrors. Full year or post Modern Horizons? Th- this is full year. Okay. Yeah. Uh the top performing deck in terms of match win percentage for the full year. Well, let me I guess let me let me turn the tables on you. Do you have a guess? 
It, it's it's a hard is guess. It, so don't don't get me wrong. It's a hard guess. Is it bug? <laughs> it is not bug. Okay. Yeah. Is it breach? That's why I said earlier, bug is the classic like fifty one percent deck. Because, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not breach though. That was a very good guess because that is very close to the top. The answer it turns out is, and this is funny. It's other Deathrite Shaman decks. This Deathrite Shaman decks that aren't bug or four color bug, four color walkers, which is what they call it. What here. would that be then? Hogak decks, <laughs> Hogak vine or something? Uh, no, because Hogak has its own category here. So this is this is specialized variants of bug decks that have vary enough from the bug and the walkers decks to have their own categorization. Okay, um, that seems now, like a, maybe a taxonomy thing. But it, go ahead. It, well, it, it is, it, but the, it's worth pointing out that the the max here is fifty two point nine six, just shy of fifty three percent. Yeah, and, and there were only fifty nine of those decks, mind you, out of eight thousand, so it's less than a percent. In order to get up to a deck list, a deck archetype though that has a more significant that is greater than representation, 1%, and yeah. that's that. By that gets that was my original point about just yeah. you can't strictly rely you on can't. representation. You can't strictly rely on win percentage mm-hmm. because because it's it's misleading in several respects so, but yeah go ahead cleaving off decks that had fewer than one percent the winner for greater than one percent is actually eight cast eight wow. cast at 52.91 percent so only five hundredths less than this other deck. i th- i wonder if they're what they're calling eight cast is what i call urza blue it might well, be or some version of that they, they have another categorization for other blue tinker decks as well. Is the Urza deck is a tinker deck, right? Yeah, but I, yeah. Urza blue, I mean this like mono blue deck. Yeah, with yep. like two or more the blue Urza creature, and usually four Urza lands, and well, and, and like often a lot of baubles, that sort of it, thing. The defining, the identifying feature of eight cast is the eight thought casts right it's the sure. thought monitors and the thought casts so yes. those are decks have those eight casts in them in your eyes i think often i'm not sh- sure if 100 percent of them do but i think most yeah so eight cast has the highest raw percentage wow. again greater than one percent representation that's at two and a half percent eight cast is again yeah. 52.9 wow but the the differences here are slight and so your guess of breach was a very good guess because at six and a half percent of the metagame a, a significant jump Breach has a 52.8% match win percentage, you know? So these differences are very slight. And that's a big How, what leap. was What was Breach's? 52.8. That's and a Urza big Blues jump. Was, and the A-cast was what? 52.9. <laughs> wow, okay. Right? Now, there's a reason why we're interested in, in slicing these things, and that's because the overall variance in match win percentage is very slight. You know, the yeah. mean of 50% is well right. enforced here. Yep. <clears throat> So I, I have to scan the numbers now to get past the top performers here. But um, Hogak is 52.5. That's 52.46, which is another high number. And what is the next highest number? I think we have to dip to right at 52 at that point. Workshop Aggro, 52 even. Yeah, that's very good. That is very good. And then... Yeah, the high 51s include, I want to make sure I get the right next one here. The high 51s include PO, 51.94, and that's at 5.5% of the metagame. So that's a healthy representation there for that that number. Next on the 51% scale would be, gosh, it's actually kind of a drop there. Yeah, Dredge, 51.19, a little bit of a drop there. 
Dredge's representation, 7% of the metagame. So another healthy number. Yeah, I think if you are more than 10% of the metagame and you have a a 52 or above win percentage, that is incredibly impressive. Well, there is no deck that meets that that criteria. criteria. In fact... What was Workshop Aggro's percentage, overall percentage? Overall percentage was only 5.1. Wow. Yeah. The best combination, in my eyes, the best combination of representation and match win percentage goes to Doomsday. 7.3% Seven point three percent and fifty two point one seven percent match win percentage, which is reflected in the top eight appearances. I mean, that's what yeah. top eight is. It's it's that it's the convergence of those two things. Yeah, <laughs> and, but breach is real close there too. A little bit less yeah. representation, six and a half. A little bit better match win percentage, fifty two point eight. God, this is hard. So it, it's yeah, it really is hard. But doomsday and breach really probably share the first and second when you're trying to combine those two metrics. Yeah. But they don't have the largest representation. You know, the largest re- right. representation, as you said, is Bug. But Bug, like I said, the classic 51%, it's actually 50.78. Like, huh. Bug does not have a good match win percentage. It's yeah. re- it's regressing to the mean a bit, as you would expect. Yep. But also, it's not the kind of deck that is really... It, it just has never been a dominant performer No, when it's it, good. It's, it's, it's frequently good that, in representation. Except those brief periods where you have these really weird metagames and Bug is just... Yeah, you know, and that happened a little bit last year. Yeah, but as recalling your monthly wins this year, Bug was its only monthly wins were January at thirteen percent representation, which was almost the same as Breach. Yeah, and then July, it only, it only won yeah. two months. Yeah. yeah, it won two months, but it won the year. <laughs> two months, no quarters in the year. Well, and that's why I said it had a lot of second places. Second yeah. place is is kind of analogous to a fifty one percent win percentage, right? If you can consistently win 51% of your matches, well, then you're going to consistently perform, <sighs> right? This is so hard. Yeah. Let's, and, that's, and that's with the highest single representation. So it's worth reiterating. Highest single representation of any arc, of any deck in the metagame, and it's still got 51%. There's a close second there, and there's no surprise what that close second is, right? Because you said it yourself. It's prison shops. Let me let me frame reframe the question then. Yeah. If someone were to ask you in your expert, well-informed opinion, what is the best deck or archetype of 2021? Mm-hmm. Which, not coincidentally, is one of our Moxie Award questions. <laughs> Moxie Awards. What would your answer be? I, I would have to be- ask more questions in order to give an answer, okay. right? Well, because well, let's pivot then to the Moxie discussion for best deck, since that okay. flows directly out of this discussion. Yeah, and one of the first questions. Um, I would ask is, is it your goal to win this event? Interesting. Right? And I know that's not the same question you ask, of course. But if my goal is to win this event, you want today, a higher win percentage deck. Than I, I want a higher win percentage. I want one of the combo decks. And a Doomsday and Breach is a real tough call. At which point it would come down to, okay, do you have any experience? You know, preference for one over the other? Because I would posit, from my perspective, Doomsday is slightly harder to pilot. Yeah. But that's a real super subjective, and it wouldn't be harder to pilot for someone like you, you know, who has gobs of experience with it. I believe, I think that Breach is a slightly more forgiving combo engine, it's slightly more forgiving to navigate. It it's also the deck that has a little bit more flexible like removal options, but it's also the deck that's harder to hate. Right? <laughs> more decks are equipped to have haymakers against Breach than against Doomsday these days, and so it, it's all about personal preference when it comes to choosing one of those two decks. But if you want to win the event, I would say pick a combo deck still. 
if you just want a consistent performer, if you want to top eight the event and or, you know, be in every game you play, then I would choose one of the control decks, either prison shops or bug. And and it's it's ironic. We have two choices basically for each of those poles conceptually, but that's the way this year shook out. It's real hard to disaggregate uh, the results for those two decks competing at each end of those poles. I have a preference for bug myself because I, I like to be on the um, more on the removal side of control than on the, the locking side of control in today's metagame. Yeah. But, but it, you can't, I mean, you can't argue with prison shops numbers exactly. <sighs> well, so it re- again, I said this at the top. It really depends on how you slice these things. Mm-hmm. Let me, let me just make a point of that by by aggregating and disaggregating. So if we look at decks, um, Breach won two months and one quarter. Bug won two months, never won a quarter, but it won the year. Mm-hmm. Shop Prison won three months, one quarter. Shop Agro won two months, no quarter. Dredge won no month, but it won a quarter. <laughs> it had If you're just looking at the deck type, it won, it won Q4. Uh, Doomsday won two months and one quarter. Mm-hmm. PO won one month, Jeskai Xerox won one month, and oh sorry, did I say PO? I meant Hate Bears, I think. No, yeah, yeah and then Hate Bears won one month. That's there were a couple of ties, so it's more than twelve. There's just no clear winner at the deck level. <laughs> I mean, the, the yeah. just numerically the best is Shop Prison, but Shop Prison basically was completely d- disappeared except for Q3. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah. so. It won August, September, and October in Q3, which included uh, July. Yeah. But it, but it, you know, and I, and I know why because these decks, these Golos decks with Urza Saga and Crucibles, just were killing it in the yeah. Q3. Yeah. But can you really give a year reward to a deck that was basically only good, great for a quarter? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think that's fair. Here's the other yeah. thing. I mean, it's like saying, you know, the MVP. Is the is the uh, player who had a great winter, but they were terrible <laughs> in the fall and the spring, you know, in basketball. That yeah. just, just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, if you look at the at the archetype level, not the deck level, well, shops won five months and two quarter victories. Turbo Xerox won one month. Breach won one month. Bug won two months and one quarter victory. Um, shops also won the year. And then non-PO Big Blue won three months and one quarter, but again, wasn't really there for the first half of the year. Yeah. So either at the deck or the archetype level, it just in terms of pure numbers, it appears to be shops. But if you disaggregate shops into shop aggro, shop aggro won, you know, was better in the first half of the year, shop prison the second half of the year. Can you really call that the same deck? Probably not. They're really different. <laughs> They're, you know, like... 20, yeah. 30 card, 20 cards different, maybe more. <laughs> I Ugh. I really appreciate that point. And I'd like to reiterate, if you take the, the mana base out of Shop Aggro versus Shop Prison, that there's no other archetype. Um, <laughs> well, I guess Bizarre suffers this same problem a little bit. But mana base is a strange word to use when it comes to the Bizarre decks. I think it's worth pointing out what you just said and, and quantifying it in those terms. If you take the mana base out of a Shop deck... Golos versus Ravager, the resulting decks have quite little in common, right? Some restricted cards, of course, and then <laughs> well, it depends. The it spheres. depends on how important you think Workshop is to that. But fa- well, I, fair I, enough. And I, you know, and I don't want to diminish that, but but you you said it yourself. Can you consider those the same deck? And no, there's no, no way they're not the same deck. Yes, no. okay, you fight them with disenchants and stuff in the similar way, but yes, no, they're they're totally different decks. 
Whereas something like Bug, which I said earlier, when you talk about an annual award, which was what we're talking about, I think it's worth recognizing a deck that can be successful in basically every month of the year with a couple of deviations and be still basically the same deck, right? Like yeah. it's it's gonna have it's it's gonna well, have like a lot of the same cards and just slight pivots to metagame, but I think that what's worth recognizing that a deck like Bug can be almost consistently itself across all these metagames. It's hard to it's hard to do that on an annual basis though. Because how do you rank these decks that have Urza Saga in them that didn't exist in the first half, or Sedgemore Witch, which didn't exist mm-hmm. in the first half? It's not fair to them. <laughs> you know, to ex- I think those. I think when new that's, decks that's come true. into existence because of new cards, you you have to imagine that you could extend their performance prior but, to their printing. But Steve, what deck won the first full month of Modern Horizons? It was yeah. Bug. It was tur- it was well yeah June no j- well Turbo Xerox won the won the the month if you combine all the Turbo Xerox decks because of which well but June wasn't but the then, first full month of. Modern Horizons, was it? I mean, it yeah, was, it was. It was June fifth, right? That's what I said. Oh, okay. Well, I, I guess I was considering July to be the first full month, but let me double check that. Some, maybe that's semantic. A couple of days here or there, you know. Uh, uh, Modern Horizons. I said this earlier in the show. Modern Horizons becomes legal, effectively legal, on the June fifth Vintage Challenge, which is the first of June. So it was okay, there the so whole June. It really did have all the events in June. Then, okay. Yes. But, well, my point still though. Look at look at July, right? You're talking about all these newcomers and the the impact they have and how they haven't established themselves necessarily. There's lots of ebbs and flows in the second half of the year because of it. But for a deck like Bug to win July, yeah, with with all these new toys in place, is a testament to you know yeah. its its place. And yeah, Shops had a great Q3, but well, and a and a good Q4. But as we said, it was it it was like kind of an identity crisis, right? When Ravager goes from everything to nothing and, and you know vice versa i i just think from an award standpoint it's worth recognizing that that's all it's kind of like a it's kind of like a a professional team that has uh their star player you know like injured for the first half of the season <laughs> <laughs> you know and they, yeah. and they have they have a good you know i don't know in, in the nfl context you know they're they're starting qbs out for the first half of the season and yeah they have a good start they go like three and three or whatever or four and two and then they go undefeated for the rest of the year or something like that like did they have the best season? Well, yeah, but it's it was kind of two different it's teams. Truncated, you yeah. Know? Um, so, and so that cuts both ways. But for for my perspective, my my moxie for deck of the year goes to bug. Kind of has to. I'm extremely inclined to go in that direction. Um, again, the arguments in favor of bug. Number one, it it has the total best year year totals. Has yeah. two month of any wins. one archetype. Yeah, yeah, it has two month wins, and bug. Never, well, it does have a bad, it does have a bad June and a weak October, right? Because in June, yeah. Bug is only, there were only three decks in the top, three Bug decks in the top eight in June. That's terrible. That's, yeah, but you, it is terrible. But I got to say, there was a lot of excitement over new cards in June. Fair enough. Like, like when we get to yeah. the set, it, it'll be clear why. And so... If I was to if I was to close my eyes and say what month of the year is the one where your consistent control deck is going to do the worst, it's going to be the first month of the biggest set of the year because everyone's trying everything else, and that's just natural, right? With so many yeah. big splashy cards in Modern Horizons too. You know what I'm going to do? 
I'm going to go, I'm going to just throw out my criteria mm. because there's no way that I can apply my traditional criteria in a way that yields a clear answer. <laughs> um, pr- shot prison is the second most number, but it just has no, no appearances in the first half. Um, to your point, Bug, you know, is the consistent plotting performer, but it doesn't really have any standouts. No, never wins a quarter, <laughs> two yeah. months, and has some really bad months. Um, Doomsday, you can't give it to Doomsday because even though there's 85 total Doomsday top eight deck lists, um, and it has a really high win percentage, it's uh, which is, is by the way better than Shop Prison in terms of appearances. Mm-hmm. It and it wins two months and a quarter. It has some, it has some clunkers in the year. Like September is only three Doomsday decks in top eights. Like you just can't. Eat, I'm sorry, that's just too low. <laughs> January 5, you can't call something the deck of the year where it's basically invisible in, in key months. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say the deck of the year is the, yeah, extrapolating backwards. Let me just make sure. I think I'm going to say it's the, it's the big blue decks. Curious. Because keep, they won Q4. It won Q4. Yeah. It had the best percentages it won December and it won November, and it had extremely good showings in August and September, and good showings in 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 September. Sorry, mm-hmm. it had it had eleven point three percent in October, but it didn't really exist before mid year in this form. And I, I I don't know whether that's why it's or a saga is the reason or some realization that Tinker is great again, <laughs> Tinker Time Vault. But if if I can't if there's no deck that is definitively better in terms of either tournament wins, top eight appearances, quarter wins, month wins, whatever, and you're looking for something that when it appears is a consistent performer and is also, I think there's an element to my moxie, which is like, did it leave an impression? Mm, yeah. And I think that these big blue decks definitely left an impression. They incorporated Saga and Ragavan often in Hull Breacher. They're strong and they're powerful. I'm going to give my moxie to these big blue, these big blue decks. Cool. They're just yeah. That's the only way I can cut through this because <laughs> otherwise it's just completely insoluble. <laughs> All right. Well, that's pretty fun, and I. I think your position echoes a, a lot of what I've seen uh, from Justin's position when he talks about the metagame, especially in the latter part of the year here. He is so quick to talk about Tinker and its position in the metagame. Yeah. We didn't talk about it much when it comes to an archetype because it there's, there's really not any archetype that is just defined by Tinker exactly in its nomenclature, but it's obviously a pivotal and driving force yes. in some of these big blue decks and all yes. the variants thereof. They hover around and centralize around Tinker. Yeah, so if you could, if you consider the Tinker deck a super archetype, then you could combine the big blue decks, the Hullbreacher big blue decks, and the Urza blue decks, and possibly even the PO, and you get a super percentage. <laughs> but I'll, yeah. I'll just stick to big blue, yeah. which I've already defined you know, as having like basically Tinker, Yogwill, mostly Key Vault, and, and Max... Artifact acceleration, except Opal. Yeah, and to quantify your point a little bit, if you perform an aggregation like that, I'm just looking through all the archetypes. That would include hypothetically PO, eight cast, witch tinker, other blue tinker. The combination of those in terms of metagame representation would be 
above bug, it would be about 14%. I'm eyeballing the percentage right now, 14 or 15% maybe. Almost and, as much as shops, yeah. Yeah, and their match win percentage would be above 15 Very high. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I'm going big blue. Big blue, you get my moxie. Congratulations. <laughs> All, right. All right. Yeah, and the only problem I have with that is just it feels more like an archetype than it does a, re- a deck. You know? Well, no, but I'm I'm talking more about the specific iteration of this. So yeah. I hope I was clear. If you want <laughs> me to, here, let me let me let me give you a specific data point to, to hang my hat on here. I will. <laughs> uh, I'll give me a moment. Uh-huh. I will give you a one deck exactly what I mean. Okay, I think I found one that I like. Yeah. So the Christmas vintage challenge, first and second place, <laughs> were both <laughs> won by Hull Breacher Big Blue. They all have Tinker. Yog Will and Time Vault. Four mm-hmm. Hull Breacher, two Ragavan. Yes, this is this this is I'll, this that, is that's my deck. That's my deck. <laughs> that's the deck of the year. It's got four Urza sagas in it. <laughs> it's damn good. Nice. It's Grixis too. Grixis Big Blue here. There you go. And uh, they're tinkering into Citadel and uh Vault uh Key Vault, obviously. Yes. With their sit with their uh, and the sideboard light steel. And do they have uh Sphinx? Not main deck. Let me see if the second placed one does. Uh, no, I don't see it. No, no Sphinx. Okay. The second place deck though is more of yeah. It, well, it's not Grixis. It's just blue black with Urza in it. The Urza Lord High Artificer as well. Uh, okay. Anyway, so but you get the, the gist of what I'm saying is these like again the five Moxin Soul Ring Mana Crypt mm-hmm. with Key Vault. Uh, well, not yeah. Key Vault Tinker will. And that's that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Whatever you want to put around it, that core, <laughs> that's the big blue deck. Yeah. Force of wills and big, you know, that's it. That core is pretty consistent. Yes. So that's what I mean right. by big blue. Yeah. And as you look back on this year, one other way, which I haven't said before, but we have said in the past, one other way to encapsulate the deck of the year moxie is when you look back on this year, what deck is going to strike your memory? Oh, as yeah. That, that was from this year. And to that end, Bug is less likely to stand out in that yes, respect than this was the year of Tinker, right? Yeah. Yep. A Tinker Agreed. blue deck. Okay, cool. Well, so how should we pivot then? Let's go we to just, the... We, we just gave away a Moxie right in the middle of our metagame report. Well, <laughs> no, I think we can go to the... the middle. <laughs> let's go to the second Moxie award. Let's go to card. Ah, now I'll see. New card. This, this is a tricky one. Because Why don't that, you give us the nominees? <laughs> Well, we we don't have a lot of rigor around this because the the well, we could have a lot of rigor around it, but it's really difficult this year because there are a lot of good candidates. But I would say the top nominees include, as you just stated, uh, Urza Saga. Yes, has to include Urza Saga. Yes, has to include Ragavan. I would yes. argue, has to include, in my opinion, Endurance. Okay, and which grief. Is a, we can. Which is it is a, a new card. Yeah, endurance and grief. Yep, and. Um, has to include. Sorry, I just I just blanked on one because I was reading past it. Yeah, what are the big new cards these year? <laughs> what are the I, nominees? I, yeah, I know. I I think I think there's a second tier, and so you know I don't want to. Well, just give us nominees and one. Just give us other a nominees list of no- include Dragon's Rage Channeler, Prismatic Ending, Merktide Regent, and Thought Monitor. But the list is even longer than that, in my opinion. But I am editorializing a little bit in the order in which I present these. It's fine. Yeah. And you'll notice that every single one of those cards I just listed is from Modern Horizons 2. It is exceedingly difficult to find a top candidate from a set other than Modern Horizons 2. Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> so really the debate comes down to Urza Saga, Ragavan. Is that the debate? Is there a third? I mean, Grief and Endurance both have meaningful appearances in the year, but they are not nearly as well represented as the first two. Numerically speaking, the only other contender from outside of Modern Horizon 2 is Sedgemore Witch. Sedgemore Witch. How many appearances yeah. is that? Sedgemore Witch had 21 top eights. Yeah. Which is a lot. There yeah. are Modern Horizons 2 cards that are above and below that 21 number. So it's it's a respectable number, but it's so not the I, top. <laughs> I don't think that this is actually hard at all. I don't even think this is close. But <laughs> I have gone through every top eight and looked at uh-huh. every deck list so I have a very strong impression. Just I haven't systematically counted, but I have a very strong impression. Um, As do I. Now there is there are some I would argue I think there are some sleepers on this list from a numeric standpoint. Um, I think endurance is a good example, and my my I, the reason I point that out is because I I don't want the the metagame analysis to just completely dominate the the card discussion because there are there are some good reasons why it shouldn't and the, the the top reason i have in my mind is that endurance had incredible numbers endurance had 28 top 8s which is significantly above sedgemore which even but endurance is such a role player that it, it's hard to give it's hard to give the award to a role player like that you know and i don't yeah. i don't mean to to uh besmirch a role player i mean we gave our award last year to force of vigor but force of vigor is a different kind of role player right um it, it, it's i don't want to get into it right it's it's objectively and subjectively a different kind of role player but this year we have top numbers from a card that is not a role player right we have top numbers from a card that multiple archetypes were built around and i don't think that you can really debate the wither twos and the y fours of a role player when you have a card like this available to you in the analysis I I just want to tell you that Urza's Saga was completely ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. was in the big blue decks. It was in the shop decks. It was in the um, the shop aggro, the shop prison. It was in the Urza, new Urza deck. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just... It was all, shoehorned into all kinds of archetypes it shouldn't have been in, you know, just for I kn- fun. <laughs> yeah, I know that we didn't do a specific calculation, but I would not be surprised if there were like a hundred Urza Saga copy, uh, de- you Top know, eights. incidences, yeah, appearances. It's well, just an- we could we could theoretically back into it though using the metagame numbers we've got, right? Because it would include almost all of the aggro and prison shop numbers, right? Yeah, and it would include. Many, if not, I don't know, I want to say most, but many of the those Tinker decks, right? Let's call it maybe half of the Tinker decks. Maybe not quite half. Maybe a little less than half of the Tinker decks. But then it would include a handful of other things, a handful of other miscellaneous decks in the other category. And and then what's the other category I'm missing that, that played, that occasionally played Saga? Oh, I guess it's just other of the Tinker decks. Yeah, I'm thinking of others of the Tinker decks. So maybe it's maybe it is above half of the Tinker decks, and then miscellaneous appearances in other things like yeah. Oath. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's and, everywhere. And miscellaneous appearances other in other places. If you yeah. just did a sampling of top eights from any month in the last, you know, five months, you would yep. find that it is just a huge number of decks after Urza Saga. I would like to know that specific percentage. I did not calculate it, mm-hmm. but it's it's absolutely enormous. 
what was the card that we had said broke our records for most appearances? I think it was from last year. Was it one of the more recent years we did Moxies? We said, wow, um, this card has even surpassed, it was Snapcaster Mage was the benchmark. And Graf, um, Graf Digger's Cage and Snapcaster Mage were the benchmarks. Yeah, and, I think you're thinking of Force of Vigor. No, no, no. Force of Vigor wasn't close to, to, the, to the figure I'm talking about. Okay. There was a there was an, a, a a card that was like completely ubiquitous that we reviewed in the, that was, came out in the last few years that just crushed every. It couldn't have been Force of Vigor. Could it have been no. It was something that was just widely played, much more widely played than Force of Vigor. It was like everywhere. <laughs> well, anyway. I can't think of the card you're talking about, but but there have been a few contenders for that crown but there was the something the last few years i think force of vigor was like in the 60s if i'm not mistaken there was a card that that like crushed um, it. it was like in the 90s at the end of the year but force of vigor had over a hundred. Oh, maybe it was then but the but in that same year we had narset parter avails at 98 yeah i think that's i think that might have been what it was and, i think and it was narset, narset yeah was absolutely ubiquitous that yeah year too okay and oh okay. by the way lavinia was a 73 that year like yeah, <laughs> that year was I, ridiculous in terms of counts. Record. I think Urza Saga might, if we had done an, uh, if we had been able to, if we had the tools to do a quick count, I think Urza Saga might have crushed every well, record ever set. We can, we can estimate it though. That's what I'm getting at. Is that okay. We've got what, what's the total uh, percentage of top eights that the shops decks were? Um, yeah, it's impossible but, just to do that estimate because there's it appeared so many non-intuitive decks. Well, I, I know, but I'm, I'm saying we, can, okay. we could we could get close with the big chunks, though. Like, Shops was, what, 15%? Yes, yeah. Of, but that's only half the year, so you'd have to take, like, 7 or 8%, maybe yeah. maybe 8 or 9, you know? And then Tinker, in the latter half of the year, which is most of its representation, was, as I said before, above 15% probably as an archetype. So call it maybe half of that, maybe two-thirds of that even. So, you, you know, an, an 8 plus an 8 means you're about 16%. Toss in another... I don't know, two, three, four, five percent for miscellaneous things. It, but it's saga in bl- big be, blue. It's in, go ahead. Well, so, so what I'm getting at, yeah, big blue. And the saga might be in twenty percent or more of I the think top it's eights more. this year. I, I think it's and, in more. It, yeah, I, that sounds about right. Actually, twenty percent so or more. Twenty-five percent, even of though it's only half the deck. Yeah, twenty the, or twenty-five percent of eight hundred would be one hundred and fifty to two hundred appearances for the year. That sounds very reasonable. That yeah. sounds about right. Yeah. So as a as a napkin math, I would say that is a reasonable right. estimate, and it speaks to the dramatic presentation that we're talking about, where last year's winner was a hundred appearances, and that was yeah. record breaking at that time. What so was the card that won last year? Last year's winner for us was uh, Loris. But oh, Loris is the card that crushed it, <laughs> of course. Yeah, okay. Lor- Loris was so popular it was banned. It was by far the biggest card we'd ever seen when we did our set review report. That's card. right, but we didn't yeah. we didn't track the counts in our notes here the year from our set the review, end, but because it, but was it banned. had to be above a hundred. Yeah, because <laughs> it was banned. Yeah, yeah. But that's okay. obviously a completely different animal, though. You know, uh, for obviously reasons. <clears throat> okay. Yes, Loris is the card I had in mind. There you yeah, go. It, the, the answer for Moxie, this is not a debate, it's Urza Saga. Ragavan is not even close. I mean, you you know from our review, I had high hopes for Grief, is not materialized, yep. is not... I mean, Grief was ubiquitous within Dredge, Yeah, but... but, but, but it appeared yeah. in all spells, <laughs> and it also appeared in um, in some of the Hogak decks, but it's it didn't yeah. really improve the status of any of those decks, frankly. 
No, so in, in it's in terms of appearances, it's in fifth or sixth place among individual yeah, cards here. It's not even in the top three. Yeah. Endurance is more than grief? Y- yes, endurance That's is shocking. more than grief. It's <laughs> amazing. Endurance is actually double grief. Wow. And that's, that's why I brought crazy. it up. I mean, obviously, it's I don't in bug mean... And, it's in bug and stuff, yeah. Yeah, and oath, and or not oath, but um, uh, rug, bug. Yeah, it's in, in miscellaneous other things. Um, that's why I, I mentioned it, is because I don't think we should pass this discussion without mentioning how great of a year Endurance had. But yeah, it's not impressive. record-breaking by any stretch. It's just... And when you were talking about how bug R disappeared in the middle part of the year, I said I think I know why, and I think it's because of Endurance. I think there was a strong... Um, a strong incentive to cut colors and to standardize colors in bug because of endurance. Wow. And I think a lot of people just just got away from red, at least in the short term, for that reason. Interesting. Because endurance was so attractive. Endurance has an interesting performance, by the way. When you think of endurance, do you think of a main deck card or a sideboard card? Uh, I think it's mostly sideboards, but I know it's in main decks. Every appearance of endurance in top eights was both main and side. Amazing. Yeah, 100% of people wow. who made top eight with Endurance that had it in their main deck and their sideboard. But there were more in the sideboard than the main deck, like two to one, right? No. No, it was consistently Even? two or three copies in the main. Wow. Yeah. It okay. was really interesting. I would not have expected it, and I only know that because I studied all those decks in preparation for the show. That's, again, another reason why I was really surprised by Endurance's performance. Um but anyway, that doesn't change the fact that I would not give my Moxie to endurance. I was, yeah, yeah I was thinking a lot about the the effect of Force of Vigor uh, at at the time, you know, which was so so interesting at, in in its day. That endurance reminded me a lot of that. But Urza Saga, absolutely, clearly the winner, both in terms of numbers, raw numbers by a long shot, but also in terms of metagame impact, because we didn't talk about it much during your review of the percentages but so much of the jockeying for position within the metagame in the second half of the year was centered around saga it was different decks trying to abuse saga the most it was different decks reacting to it and how you fight it the most it was it's just fascinating and it it upended a lot of individual matchups it upended matchups like um well, like the Golo Shops matchup against a lot of decks, right? Golo yep. Shops now had a way that you could just play a turn one land that your opponents had to have very narrow answers to, and then it was synergistic with all your other lock components. And, and the big blue decks. Every and mox the they decks. played made it made these creatures bigger. And, <laughs> well, and, and that synergy, in addition to the synergy of if I can adopt the control role within a particular matchup, then Saga just cleans up, right? Yep. There are so many games of, you know, we've all played a lot of games of vintage, especially featuring blue decks, where you both spend a lot of resources to jockey for position in the first two turns. But if I'm the, the, the deck after that whose land is giving them value on turn three or four, that's just a huge advantage in some of those matchups in individual games. And so, Agreed. so much of all the winners, like if you look at all the winners, save bug in, in July, but every other winner basically for the rest of that year, was someone jockeying for position vis-a-vis Saga. Wow, amazing. Yeah. All right, so Urza Saga has both of our moxies that's indisputable, yeah. undebatable, undeniable, unequivocal. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I really don't think we need to spend too much time talking about the set of the year, though. <laughs> Modern Horizons 2. So the yeah. let's just, for, for completeness sake, mm-hmm. what are all the new sets of the year? Kaldheim? Oh, Go through yeah. Them. Yeah, the sets of this year include... There's no core set for this year, notably. 
<laughs> it includes Kaldheim at the very beginning of the year, then Strixhaven, uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, aka Dungeons and Dragons, Innistrad Midnight Hunt, Innistrad Crimson Vow, and th- those are the regular expansions. And then the specialty sets include Modern Horizons 2, which is the big one, as well as the commander sets for the year. There's commander sets every year, right? But in, in this year, they've aligned the commanders to basically the, the core sets of the year. Not the core set, but the, the regular base expansions of the year. So there was commander for Strixhaven, and then there were specialty commander uh, products also throughout the year. But the commander cards for this year, we didn't even bother to review them. They did not make a splash. But so really, the this the, the story, the headline for this year in terms of set releases is the handful of regular booster sets plus Modern Horizons 2. My moxie goes to MH2. Unequivocally, undeniably, indubitably, and unarguably, <laughs> Modern okay. Horizons 2. Now we all come of, to all a of question. my votes, all of my rank choice votes in one big pile. <laughs> now we come to a question that is hard, is almost as hard as the first Moxie, which is the best story of the year. By the way, let Absolutely. me let me just do this one more time, but just to cl- just to remind everyone the event types of the year. There are the vintage challenges, which are the format challenges, a twice weekly event. There's mm-hmm. the showcase challenges, which were three times a season, where the top eight is invited to the showcase qualifier. Therefore, there were six of those for Vintage this year, last year, rather. There was the Showcase Qualifier, which is the uh, the event that feeds from the Showcase Challenge. There were two of those for Vintage this year. There's just Vintage Qualifiers, which there were a handful of. And then there's Super Qualifiers, where the top two finalists get to the set championship. I just want to state that clearly and unequivocally. And then there's also the Eternal Weekend, three Eternal Weekend events. So those those form the kind of raw material for the the data that we draw from. Kevin, yep. There, it's hard to tell a story or draw a narrative when there was no Bannon Restricted List decisions. There was no errata. <laughs> well, there were... There's technically one Bannon Restricted Decision. Sorry, right? there was Lura being un- Lura unbanned. Yeah. Yeah, but that was, I mean, that was overdue and, and very early in the year. Yeah. There was, yeah. so there's that. There's no major errata. The sets, I mean, Modern Horizons having an impact is definitely a story. That's one of the stories, but it's very close to the set <laughs> question. Yeah. Don't want to really make that our story of the year. Yeah. Eternal Weekend, it's hard to craft narrative around that when it's everything is online. There's not a lot of personal interaction or drama. Um, what were the nominees from Twitter for Best Story? So Justin gave us a, a good summary of a story for the year, which is that he says, and I'm quoting, decks rose up to 55% win rate, but were always adapted to, which, you know, via Twitter is a is a pretty specific metric that speaks to a broader issue, which is metagame ad- adaptation month over month, which um, is reflected in your numbers to some degree. There were some periods that were dominated by shops this year, but as we said, those periods weren't even the same shop archetype, <laughs> yeah. the same shop deck each time. <laughs> Some other responses include uh, Zoomers taking over COVID, Alpha Review, Justin winning the PTQ, Escalating Prices, Unimonia Closing. There's a whole bunch of candidates in there. Yeah, Unimonia Closing is very sad. RIW staying open and even expanding some of its business is a a flip side of that story, which is nice. Well, I think think the the story of the year is the one that I tried to lace throughout our year in review, Mm -hmm. which is the the combination of balance and diversity as revealed through the Genie Simpson data. The fact that it's just not just higher at or above 
the historical level, but significantly above in terms of balance and diversity. That that to me is the biggest story of the year. That that essentially the vintage metagame is diverse, healthy, and dynamic. I think that speaks to Justin's point in a very it's specific re- way. It's related to yeah. it. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's mine's a little this more in a metric. Of, yeah, well, but we can quantify this in a number of ways, can't we? And, and you just, you know, you've already laid out a few of them. One of our Twitter responses from Kevin Rogers also speaks to this point. The fact that there is no story, format seems perfectly balanced, all the pillars have a foot in each archetype, and have had their day in the sun. And I think that's a, a pretty eloquent way in the, the Twitter capacity of summarizing that. And I would agree. We've talked about in our debate about the best deck, we talked about combo archetypes, control archetypes, aggro archetypes. In our discussion of cards, we had cards that were dominant, but still used in combo and control and l- a little less successfully in aggro, but still definitely in aggro. We've had debates, fluctuations year over year, where one deck rises up and dominates a month, maybe two, and then falls away, like Doomsday did, like Breach did at a couple of points. And as Justin quantified, some decks had dominant performances in individual tournaments, like you cited in December, right, with the Tinker, that Tinker deck's performance. But no one deck dominated the year. Bug had consistent performance, but far from dominant right? At any point, really. And when you think of this year, you encapsulated it as like Tinker in Big Blue, and you you gave a great example of that deck that that performed in December. But there were a bunch of variants of that. This whole breach or that, you know, how number of how many number of Urzas or eight cast or, or or what have you. In my opinion, my favorite part of this year, and I'm glad to see it echoed in your statistics, is just that vintage is incredibly healthy, incredibly healthy. There is excellent interplay between archetypes. Almost every deck is in almost every matchup. There is a lot of reward for skill, both in the deck construction, metagame awareness, and and play areas. I, it's just fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't say it any other way. It's fantastic. Yeah. What a year. What a year. And it's interesting that we're so happy, relatively speaking, about a year that included the single most dominant and appearance count card ever <laughs> yeah right? isn't it's, it strange it would you have strange. predicted that that combination of things would have happened well, we've had a card that would be in you know fully a third or whatever of our of all decks and yet we're happy about it yeah it's 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 such a strange card i mean it's a card that can go into so many decks and does different things in different contexts so it makes it the kind of card i mean it's like graph diggers cage in that respect just ubiquitous yeah. it doesn't boost one thing although it boosts many things and mm-hmm. creates new interesting dynamics yeah yeah we said similar things about force of vigor if you'll recall right yeah it went in a bunch of different archetypes and boosted them in different ways yeah not not like endurance did though no no not exactly but but still similar characteristics and and um I'm sensing a bit of a theme in terms of design that speaks to vintage, right? There's there's some common characteristics of good, high-quality, well-received, player-loved cards, and you just articulated them, I think. I am very pleased with where vintage is right now. I hope that we can live in a state like this for quite a while. When paper, when we get back to paper, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, paper is, 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 is a different animal for a few different reasons, but... 
the last few eternal weekends have demonstrated a pretty close alignment between the health of paper and, and the health of online magic. We'll see how closely those things are aligned when we have their first big eternal weekend in paper again. So this is, I think, a great place to end our year in review. Kevin, what what can we commit to our audience going forward since we skipped a couple of set reviews, combined them during the yeah. pandemic? Yeah. What is our plan going forward? What do you want to do? Well, we are going to return to a more regular schedule, a more regular thing. You know, the tent poles will be set reviews as they normally are, but we're going to try to return to a schedule that includes more issues type shows. It's been mm-hmm. a while since we did just a regular metagame update, right? And Which we kind of just did. <laughs> well, obviously, the year-end yeah. review always takes that form anyway of, of a sort, but we want to try and do that a little more regularly, but also try and pepper in and return to a little bit of norm with some other issues type shows, like maybe scenarios, which is yeah. always a fun scenarios one, are always you know? popular. And and if there's a particular issue type show that you'd like to hear, uh, please let us know on Twitter, of course. But uh, yeah, now that I'm fully moved, home sales stuff is behind <laughs> me, and uh, I can return to editing in a more and recording in a more continuous fashion. Then uh, uh, we'll be back to some more of our norms. And thank you, everyone, for your patience. And anyone who has been chomping at the bit to have more content of ours, we appreciate you. Yes, very much. Thanks for sticking with us through (laughs) this whole crazy pandemic period. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to reiterate thanks to those in the, the vintage Discord and the streaming community who continually contribute to the data gathering efforts. Phenomenal job. We are your target audience, <laughs> and we try to echo your values and the, the things that are gained by these insights as much as we can. So just fantastic. Keep it up. And with that, thank you for listening to episode 102 of So Many Insane Plays. You can tweet us at Many Insane Plays or email us at so many insane plays podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a like and a rating on iTunes so that other Magic players can find our show. As always, and until next year, we wish you many insane plays.